Welcome to the Unusual and Human Experience podcast, where we explore a mystery that has many faces and interacts with humanity all over the globe. Here, we talk about the unusual, ancient, and contemporary. If you are curious about near-death and out-of-body experiences, encounters with UFOs, events of the paranormal, or even strange esoteric experiences, the Unusual and Human Experience podcast is for you. Host Kevin Keyless, a psychotherapist by trade, provides insightful conversations, sometimes with guest speakers familiar with the topic at hand. This podcast is educational and inspirational, its contents representing only the opinion of the host and, when applicable, his guest. Kevin is the author of three books, Bring Your Pen, Bring Your Broom, Last Breath Awareness, and Spiritual Care to Elderly and Dying Loved Ones and the founder of Conversing with Death, an existential training on last breath awareness. For more about his services, go to bodymindmetaphor.com. And now your host, Kevin Keyless. Welcome to the Unusual and Human Experience Podcast. My name is Kevin, and today we're going to look at psychosis and unusual phenomena. Last week, we looked at the DSM, which is the Bible of Psychiatry, and we asked one particular question, and that was, do the mental disorders that are listed in the book have substantial evidence to point to a biological cause for mental disorders. And what we noticed briefly and through testimony is that the DSM struggles to produce substantial evidence and that what they go by is more of theory than anything else. However, this is not to disrespect the DSM I think there's some things that can come out of that book that are helpful, such as observations that other professionals make in trying to understand human behavior. But it is concerning when a book of such priority and recognition does not have a backing to its claims. And so this is especially true when we're dealing with unusual phenomenon where there is a different sense of reality occurring. And this is very important for us today as we deal with psychosis and look at it in light of unusual phenomena. Now, psychosis has a particular structure within the DSM, has particular definitions, criteria. And so the question that we want to begin with is, what is psychosis? But even before we talk about what is psychosis, we have to understand that the DSM comes from a particular point of view. For example, the DSM does not take into account other forms of reality, such as the transcendent or God or universe. On the other hand, there are those who have mystical experiences, spiritual experiences, and experiences with unusual phenomena where there are elements of psychosis, but it's not brought upon by just some sort of major stress or disorder. Instead, it's brought upon by an actual existence or experience of other. Now, this is very important to remember because 
Sometimes when we get into debates or friendly conversations around psychosis and unusual phenomena, there seems to be the need to almost argue against any kind of psychotic presence, as if psychosis means pathology, and we're accustomed to hearing that, aren't we? But for people who have unusual phenomena, genuine unusual phenomena, there are elements of psychosis. However, it is because there is the joining or the meeting of the transcendent with our system, our thoughts, our emotions, our experiences, our energy. And so when the two meet, naturally, they're going to be jolting experiences. They're going to be reactions. But that does not mean that it is psychotic in the sense of pathology, like we would understand how, say, someone who struggles with schizophrenia encounters psychosis. Now, going back to the question of what is psychosis, I understand psychosis to be the activation of one or more senses, visual, auditory, tactile, that doesn't align with the experiencer's context or moment of condition. For example, someone might say, I feel something crawling on my skin and there's nothing crawling. Or they hear a voice talking to them, but there's nobody around. Now, what I'm about to say is very, very important with regard to psychosis because Psychosis, or the term, is often used against people who experience genuine, unusual phenomena. That is, experiences that are investigated but cannot be explained on natural ground. Nevertheless, some people will use the word psychosis or hallucination to explain an experiencer's account. So, It's important for you to understand that psychosis isn't something that just exists by itself. There are, if you will, precursors. In other words, there's this sort of development going on, such as a major stress, um, situations in life, uh, people who may not necessarily uh, sleep well, they're fatigued, Um, There might be some suicidal ideations involved, but there are these things that are accumulating within the person's experience that eventually leads to psychotic episode. Once that happens, there are hallucinations, there are delusions, and there are psychotic features that take place that are very fragmented to the sense of self. And after a period of time, then there is recovery, which might take weeks, if not a month or so, for the person to then return to what they might call an ordinary or familiar state. This is very important to understand because it's not as if psychosis just happens. And we'll talk about brief reactive psychotic disorder and also mass hallucinations. But we'll talk about brief reactive psychotic disorder because that's defined differently. But nevertheless, there is a context by which I think is important to keep in mind. 
So as we define psychosis, one of the things we want to keep in mind is that psychosis involves a process. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Moreover, psychosis is something that leaves a person feeling fragmented and leaves a person feeling unstable. And the messages that they either hear or see, often it's hearing, can be very demanding or very intrusive and negative. And hallucination is something that isn't really in a nice, neat package, such as a narrative or a story. Sometimes the hallucinations, what people hear, are just bits and pieces of things, and sometimes in command form. And the delusions that they experience can either be grandiose, where there's a sense of centrality, where they feel they are the center of the world or the center of their mission to save the world, for example. Or it could be persecutory or paranoid to where there's a sense that people are coming after them. So please keep in mind, especially you who have had a genuine, unusual phenomenon, something that cannot be explained even by those who have tried. Oftentimes, people who do experience unusual phenomenon, they do feel like they're going crazy. And sometimes people will use the word psychosis or hallucination or delusions in order to interpret your experience. Recognize that psychosis is something that involves a very intense process, one that is very discouraging, painful, and frightening. Now, this doesn't mean that if you've had an unusual phenomenon take place in your life, that you will not have some of these features. This is what makes the study of psychosis and genuine but unusual phenomenon very interesting. People who have genuine, unusual phenomenon do experience psychotic features. But there are two things that make a difference. Number one, it is a genuine experience. Not just an experience, but a genuine encounter with other, however we define other in unusual phenomenon. And the second feature is that in light of all these uneasy moments that you have in your experience, at the end there is a sense of wholeness, a sense of humility, a sense of privacy and quietness. That is very different from psychosis in the sense of pathology. So you may have an unusual phenomenon, say, experiencing an apparition or spirit. Well, you cannot see it, but you sense it tactically. You might hear its voice, but no one is there. You might see something that others may not see with the naked eye. The same can be said about UFO encounters. There are experiences that take place that are very vivid, but others may not see it. Others may not hear it. But the experience is very real to you. It is something that you know that you know happened. And it can jolt you. It can create distress 
it can really shift your mental and emotional state. It can really turn upside down some of the familiar patterns by which you live by. It can cause distress. But at the end, there's a sense in which all of it comes together and there's the bettering of your life. There is a sense of wholeness. There is a sense of clarity. This is what mystics and people who have spiritual experiences with the transcendent that at first may be highly distressful, highly surprising. But nevertheless, there is more of an integration of self, an integration of your sense of who you are with this sense of other that promotes a better sense of self, a clarity of why you're here and who you are. Now, there are those who don't understand this and yet will use the term psychosis or they'll tell you you're delusional or hallucinating, not really understanding what they're saying. Now, right after the commercial, I'm going to share with you my own experiences with people who have had psychosis in the concerning sense where they needed some type of treatment and support from the professional community. Bring your pen, bring your broom brings together two healing communities, the psychotherapist and the witchy at heart. Only you'll be lucky to find them anywhere in the same room. The therapist easily misunderstands and labels the mystic, who in turn worries she'll be labeled crazy. But what happens when the esoteric practitioner seeks mental and emotional support to balance her often strange but sacred practice? This concise text guides the therapist to correct his miscalculations by dismantling those dormant stereotypes. The professional paves the way to offer necessary wisdom and skills to manage trauma, clinical depression and anxiety, the very things that can threaten the esoteric practitioner. Bring Your Pen, Bring Your Broom also supplies the potential client with direction on how to effectively use therapy to prevent emotional unsteadiness while exercising those slippery rituals. Bring Your Pen, Bring Your Broom, now on Amazon in hardcover and paperback. Somewhere back in the 80s, I started to train as a chaplain. Now, many people don't realize that to train for a chaplain, not volunteer chaplain, but to train to work as a full-time chaplain in a hospital or in a hospice setting, you need to undergo at least one year of full-time work in the field, being supervised and analyzed very deeply. It's extraordinary work. It's something that I recommend to ministers as well as to therapists if they are also ministers or chaplains. Um, great opportunity to explore why we do the things that we do, even in the name of God. So when I was training, back in the day, there was residential facilities for people with mental illnesses, severe mental illnesses. And there's not a whole lot of that anymore today. But I was able to, back then as a chaplain intern, uh, observe uh, these patients for quite some time. Um, they were in their rooms or they were in groups, and I would be able to watch the mental patterns. I was able to watch the emotional states. I was able to really have a good view on what happens to someone when they're in the middle of an episode, psychotic episode, 
when they are in recovery. And it was obvious whenever the episode would take place. Um, hallucinations were very random. Um, the delusions uh, often had meaning, but they were very exaggerated. And that's understandable with a fragmented sense of self, right? It was very exaggerated, either grandiosity, sort of like a messiah, or persecutory, sort of like everybody is after me. And then when I was in hospice, I was able sometimes to meet and have a relationship with people who were in need of treatment. I remember one woman who was diagnosed with what is called a schizophrenia. And she was, to me, one of my favorite clients or patients. I enjoyed visiting her. It was very intriguing to move into her world and into her space. And sometimes her content the way that she perceived things was very intense, and you can see the episode taking place. And it was very difficult to reach her. And then there were other times where she was very reachable. Her stories were still very strange. But who is to say that in the midst of all of that, there might not have been some seed of the divine? Now, I know that it might sound like we know everything about schizophrenia, but we really don't. There's so much that we don't know. There was some theories and assumptions made, for example, that schizophrenia is a disease that really takes a toll on the volume or the weight of the brain. In other words, it shrinks the brain. However, more information and research has been done to suggest that it isn't necessarily schizophrenia that affects the physiological features of the brain, but it's actually taking strong medication for a long time that actually causes that. But that for another day. But in general, I was able to work with people who were either having a psychotic episode or recovering from a psychotic episode. And it is a process. It isn't something that they're just sitting, having a good day, and all of a sudden they change and it happens. Now, I mentioned something about the brief reactive psychotic disorder. Now, what I'm about to say to you comes from James Davies in his book, Crack. Remember, he was one of a number of people who had the privilege of interviewing people like Robert Spitzer and uh, uh, Alan Francis. So the way that Davies places the brief psychotic disorder or brief reactive psychotic disorder goes something like this. Robert Spitzer made a point to visit two psychiatrists who were working at a hospital in Washington, D.C. When he met with them, the two psychiatrists shared with him that they noticed two types of patients. One that would have a sudden psychotic disorder based on a major stress in their life. And the other one was a patient who felt the need to go to the ER even though there were no indications of them needing to go. So Robert Spitzer took down some notes, 
created this brief reactive psychotic disorder and its criteria, and voila, you have a mental disorder. Now, I am not an expert in research, and uh, so, but what I do know is that if I ever presented something like that to a professor for a grade, I'm not sure I would pass. But out of that came, out of that visit that Robert Spitzer had with two psychiatrists, came this mental disorder. Now, Davies does not mention anything about further research or any kind of investigation. The impression you get from Davies' text is that Robert Spitzer put this together rather quickly or by himself. Now, that's keep in mind that this is understood today as coming from a disease. Remember the disease model that says that a mental disorder has a physiological or biological component that causes the disorder. How did Spitzer find that out? How did he do his research? How did he make this kind of connection and call it a disease? Well, this is for you to further research. But let's just assume now that brief Reactive psychotic disorder is a legitimate illness. So what you have is you have something that may come as a result of some major stress, although today there seems to be some literature that even says that you can have a psychosis without any major distress or stress, Um, which is interesting. How did they arrive at that? But even when there is some sort of a a reaction based on stressors, there is still that component, there are still those elements that, that are very obvious in understanding how psychosis works. It's not like you're just sitting somewhere and just, say, in your backyard, and then all of a sudden, boom, you're hit with some sort of psychosis. There are preliminaries, and at least in the sense of when Spitzer was having his conversation with one of the psychiatrists or both of the psychiatrists, they understood that this brief episode occurs as a result of a major stress. So as we're nearing the end, I want to put all of this together. Now, psychosis is a very serious matter hallucinations, delusions, manic episodes, all of these psychotic features are very, very serious. And there are some who engage, whether in the name of God, as a mystic, or as a spiritual follower. There are some even who entertain unusual phenomena. And there is reason for concern. There are times where they are showing signs that have very little to do with genuine experiences. Now, on the other hand, there are people who have very genuine experiences, or should I say encounters, even though our mainstream science would contradict or or argue against. There are some who have genuine encounters that are distressful in nature and that could either appear to carry or carry psychotic elements. But what makes this different is where it's coming from. 
It involves the subjective, but it doesn't solely involve the subjective. The assumption of the theory is that there is an encounter with other. And a second thing that differentiates a genuine encounter from someone who has a psychotic episode, say it's as schizophrenia or mania, is that a person who has a genuine encounter has a recovery that enhances their lives further. They don't just return to an ordinary or familiar state, nor are they fragmented. People feel more integrated. There is a sense of wholeness, and there is this attitude of humility that accompanies them. And they're not into trying to boast about their experiences. To the contrary, many people prefer to keep things quiet for one reason or another. And so there's some differences here. And so my encouragement to you as an experiencer of any type of unusual phenomenon, number one, you want to investigate it and investigate it thoroughly. Number two, find the support that you need. Sometimes these experiences are very overwhelming and very distressful. When you have a genuine encounter with another dimension, naturally your system is going to be shocked. It's going to be overwhelmed, right? Our mental, emotional, and energetic states are made for this dimension. So when we enter another dimension, or another dimension encounters us, of course we might have a a very distressful process. That doesn't mean you're going crazy. But when you think you are, this is a time to find a professional who is sympathetic to unusual phenomena that can assist you in placing the pieces in a way that will help you to process, and then celebrate your experience. I hope this was helpful to you. If you have any questions, always feel free to email me. You can go to bodymindmetaphor.com with any questions and comments. Please tell people about this podcast, therapists and experiencer alike, and uh, give me a review if you have an opportunity. I would appreciate your feedback, your comments, and your support. So until next time, to all of you, stay well. Body-Mind Metaphor offers traditional psychotherapy to adults seeking to recover from trauma and to manage depression and anxiety. Now with a unique and necessary twist, it provides these same interventions to individuals who have experienced unusual phenomena, such as a near-death experience, an encounter with a UFO, some mystical or esoteric transformation that proved distressful, or a paranormal event. Many who meet up with a strange experience often remain silent, sometimes for years, for fear of being ridiculed or thought of as crazy. This isolation only inflames mental and emotional symptoms. It is therefore imperative that mental health professionals provide that safe space for clients to explore these experiences and integrate them into our lives. Body-Mind Metaphor delivers just that by using talk therapy, hypnotherapy, and other therapeutic modalities. Remember. You are not alone, and you don't have to be. For more information, visit us at bodymindmetaphor.com. 